Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to yet another week here at Troy Nunes' Absolute Podcast. With you as always, Steve Haller. Joining me as always and back in the saddle, Andy Pregler and Christian Guzman. What's going on, guys? Well, just as Steve says, it's always college football season. Oklahoma State and Missouri State proved that today with Oklahoma State baseball winning a game of baseball 29-15. Which was more points than they scored against. It is more points than they scored against that same program in football. So, you know, (laughs) you can can just trot out the baseball team the next time you need to play a football game, Oklahoma State. Uh, That will do totally well. Yes, college baseball. um, Steve, I don't know if if your small child is interested in playing baseball, but if he finds baseball too boring, put him in front of college baseball because that shit is fun. Fair. And I may have to do that because it is the most wonderful time of the year for college baseball. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. And this is when everybody's going to say, well, why doesn't Syracuse have a college baseball program? The answer is money. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the answer is money. You can come up with whatever other reasons you want. The answer is money. Yeah. I asked this you question want, a lot. You want Syracuse to have a baseball and men's icy hockey program? Well, can you fork over some cash? Right. Yeah, can one of you get a uh, get something incriminating on Jeff Bezos and then get him to fund those things? That is how we are getting those two things. Which, maybe not that hard, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and inherently in the discussion, you always have to, you know, pull in the, hey, we'd have to balance it with women's team as well. Uh, there are plenty of women's programs we can right. add. We could, we could very easily add the appropriate program, but it also takes money to add that program too. So you can't holistically, or you can't look at it with just the baseball lens. You have to look at it holistically as well. So yeah, it's a multifaceted money issue. <laughs> <laughs> but while we, we look forward to the nice. women's varsity curling program, 
Yes. Also, Actually, uh, for the record, uh, we live in Syracuse. We don't do spring, like early spring sports don't exist. Playing baseball growing up, I played in a gym until well into the fourth week of the high school season. Like, yeah. there's a reason that there's baseball is limited. Like, baseball players don't come from the Northeast unless you're a pitcher and can do that year round. Well, I was going to say, we could just, you know, put it inside the, the JMA wireless facility that is now constructed. Uh, it is turf, and uh, you don't really need dirt for indoor fields these days. So, yeah, just, like, line up some base paths and uh, let's just play it they, inside. They did it for softball, but I think... I think it might be a little short porch for uh, short short porch for baseball. <laughs> they can use wood bats. Small details. Small details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you you thought the monster. It's was only two hundred. It's only two hundred down the line. Small details. Small details. <laughs> yeah. How do you do? You line Again. it up for lefties or righties? Like who's just gonna hit a jack every single at bat? Okay, no lost us. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, again, Oklahoma State just scored 29 runs. Right. I don't think it really matters. Oh, yeah. Set it up in the middle. 200 down both lines. Exactly. It's the holograms. 500 Perfect. in the center. It's the yeah. holograms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think we're out of something. And you know what? That's uh, Pete Salak and charges extra tickets instead of, you know, dragging Paul, Paul McCartney uh, from wherever he apparently, was. For apparently, the they, apparently they had fireworks at that show. Right. I did not okay, know we, that was possible in the dome. It was not before the new roof. That is true, because because it's all vacuum sealed, but still. Uh, now we have pyrotechnics. I saw that Jim Beheim was sitting front row for that concert. <laughs> um I I just I just want you all to to think for a second before uh you answer this question, because I think you know what question I'm gonna ask. What is Jim Beheim's favorite Beatles Paul McCartney song? because part of me wants to go live and let die like he's actually a secretly a really big wings fan but the other part of me goes he might be like that guy that owns all the beatles albums on vinyl and might have like a super opinionated take on like old school beatles stuff well if you have super opinionated take on springsteen you bet he has a super opinionated take on the beatles stuff (laughs) i'm gonna opt for octopus's garden off of abbey road I don't know why. Yeah. It just seems right. <laughs> now I want someone to Photoshop Beheim's head on an octopus. <laughs> I mean, you're a resident person to do that, so feel free. Oh, I need to get, uh, yeah, I need to get my Photoshop skills back up. It's been a minute. Um, and, and now we've started off a podcast talking about five minutes of things that aren't Syracuse. I mean, they were tangentially uh, related to yeah. Syracuse. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> And apparently McCarty put on a heck of a show last night, which I wished yeah. I could have gone to, but, you know, things happen. It was, the first event. it was the first event in the newly christened GMA wireless, though. Which really oh, is yeah. probably which is really probably getting into, like, the topic that we really wanted to talk about today and then a pre-show. That's probably one of the best ways to lead off the year that was Syracuse Orange Athletics. Because... The, the rename... Yeah, because there's honestly, with all the crap that happened this year in terms of downplaying the performance of what you expect Syracuse Athletics to play at, that's the biggest news. Yeah. I, I, I mean... mean... The, the biggest positive news? Yes. <laughs> that, yes. Most of the other news is very negative. 
the I, I think that when you look at this season in general, um, it's an absolute uh, not a failure, but it's an absolute disappointment and did not live up to any expectations in any sport. That was um, such, that was such a dad. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed energy that you had with that statement right there. But I, but I think that, but I think that's the energy for the season. No, mm-hmm. like yeah. no, it is. It yeah. totally yeah, is. It fits. It's just surprising how incredible that was. <laughs> as as the resident dad, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, right. like seven minutes. Steve is old. Perfect. All right. <laughs> We're on it. Uh, but but there's like this moment where you go through the season and you just keep going and you're like, well, the expectations weren't high. But they weren't necessarily the floor, and Syracuse somehow found a way to meet to meet in the middle there. So I think right. Christian, let's start so, with you. Well, it's, it's that it's that one meme of that like one protester sign where it's on cardboard. It's just written her expectations for you were low, but holy fuck. Yep, Ooh, that sounds yeah, about right. Yeah. <laughs> the um, but that's I guess. Do we start in the fall? Like just start it right off with the uh, the football season. Well, because... I was going to start with. I was going to start with the question for both of you, and I guess, okay. Steve, you can kind of start it off because I think yours is more football-related. What, uh, you know, we, you, we, there's, uh, my wife's a teacher, and I know all the different analogies for these things. But let's start, let's, let's go with the flower analogy. And uh, what was your rose and what was your thorn from the athletic season this year? So you're positive and you're not positive. Um and Steve, I have a feeling that both of yours are probably going to come out of the football side of the house. <laughs> no, I the the positive is going to be the run game. Like Sean Tucker and the offensive line and how they looked compared to, we knew Tucker was going to be good. We did not know the degree to which he was going to be a record-setting good. Um, part of that comes from Mike Schmidt's installation of a new style of blocking. Part of it comes from a development of the offensive line. And part of it is just Sean Tucker being Sean freaking Tucker. Um, but that would, that would be my highlight, uh, my, my rose, if you will. Uh, the thorn would have to be the, um, well, I guess you could flip a coin between which was more disappointing, the basketball team finishing under 500 or the lacrosse team finishing under 500. Uh, I'm going to stick with basketball cause that's what I know. But, um, yeah, the, the performance of the men's basketball program and setting new, lows for the Jim Bayheim era uh, would have to be my my thorn. How about you, Christian? Rose will definitely be for a more holistic approach. Uh, uh, women's sports continuing to hold the orange banner at light. The postseason success and first of all, the teams would just make the postseason were field hockey, ice hockey, and women's lacrosse. And then rowing as well. Both rowing right. programs actually made the postseason. But still, that being said, they made the postseason. Right. The meds programs here can't say that. So that is the absolute success is that their the women's programs continue to grow here, which is good. And the hope is that the other programs can also follow suit in those ways because uh, those three programs in particular have it down. And they seemingly will make the postseason as well. The Thorn... As Steve said, it's either basketball or lacrosse. To that, I say, ¿por qué no las dos? Because, I th- because it's both. Both had equally, maybe not this to the same level, but high expectations. You know, both were expected to make it to the, at least the postseason and qualify for the postseason. 
And the fact that neither came close is bad. And that is not the meme that I was referencing. Our expectations for, for you were low. For football, our expectations for you were low. And you somewhat actually exceeded them. The disappointment is that we couldn't make a bowl game because you seemed to have the momentum. But you put it all into perspective, that was not a bad season from football. The basketball and lacrosse seasons, there were expectations for both teams coming into this year. And they far under-delivered, by far under-delivered on both of those expectations. And that's the biggest disappointment and the biggest thorn of Syracuse athletics right now. Yeah, I think that if we want to kind of turn our attention to the fall, my my thorn that I had was really around uh, the football program. And I wrote about this a lot during the season, um, but it was that even though the football program took a big step forward this year from the pandemic season, there does seem to be a lack of cohesive um, system in place because Dino Babers is still saying that he wants to run an up-tempo pass-heavy offense and yet this season was Syracuse turning into what could have been, uh, you know, a single wing formation with their emphasis on the run. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't have done that. It's just a matter of Dino and his decision making that we saw <clears throat> in game several times just not not really being there. And I'm starting to have some serious doubts about uh, can the long term direction of this program be something more than just. Well, what do we got in the cupboard this year? Um, because I don't think that Syracuse can succeed in the ACC if that's your approach every year. Um, we've seen that the ACC is not the premier college football pro, uh, conference, so it's not like they're going to get Vanderbilted every single year uh, with the level of competition. But if we do want to see consistent bowl success, if we do want to see some consistent growth, there needs to be a process in place, and it doesn't seem as if that exists at a structural level within the football program. Um, but so let's so talk so looking in, and honing in at football uh, specifically this year, Steve. You talked about the running game success, um, but I think one of the things that was probably most surprising was that the Tommy DeVito experiment ended in the weirdest way possible. Going back to that process oriented approach, where Garrett Schrader was given predetermined amount of snaps in really weird games. After what looked to be a pretty successful system against Ohio, um, and then the Rutgers game happened, and I feel like the wheels didn't come off after the Rutgers game, but man, those close losses all kind of felt like it made the Rutgers game look worse. And I think that that's probably the low point of the football season. And I'm just curious, does, does that game still stick with you in retrospect? Or were was Sean Tucker's greatness enough to kind of make you forget about the terribleness that was that particular game? What game? <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> Steve, Steve volunteered to look at a men in black, black pen yes. just for that game. Yeah, no, that wasn't pretty. Now, at the same time, when you if, if you're going off your Tommy DeVito experiment talk, when when he came back against Albany, he looked much more settled. He looked good. Uh, it all signs pointed in that U Albany game to Devito still definitively being the starter, 
and then Schrader getting the snaps. I think it was close to halftime or at halftime when when everything like you could tell everything was predetermined, or like that the game was well in hand and it looked like okay we're handing Schrader the reins, getting him some run, and then the Liberty game happened, and Schrader gets trotted out as the starter, and everything goes wonky, and it was just like one thing after another after that of okay we're changing our entire system we're shifting to a running quarterback from a a, again a quarterback who had actually looked a little more settled and an offensive line who was looking like they were you know working some things out and feeling some things out and starting to work with each other and uh you know throw it all on its head against liberty and start over again which uh, i mean it really was like a reboot of the season because the team that played with Tommy DeVito at the helm on offense was very different than the team that played with Garrett Schrader, outside of the fact that Sean Tucker is good. So what to what degree, and I, Christian, I don't know if you have thoughts on it, to what degree that diametric shift really had on the outlook of the season? And like, is, is there still something in your head that says the Tommy DeVito experiment ended too early? Or do you think that was the right move? Um, from the, it's so weird because I think all of us on this side of the fan base says yes, the Tommy DeVito uh, experiment ended too early. I think most casual fans said no. I think right. most casual fans had enough of Tommy DeVito after last year. So, and even though he was injured for two thirds of the season, I think fans had enough of Tommy DeVito. I don't necessarily agree, right? Um, and I think I think you two are in agreement with that. So it's a real weird way of saying that it's basically, it was a 50-50 and the coaching staff decided to go one way. And because there's, there's clear arguments for both sides. And the thing, the thing that overall kind of just sums up the Syracuse football season, and, and, I, and it goes back to what Andy first said, and it was that, yes, this was a, an improvement from the COVID era year. But when you take a look at the style of play that Syracuse trotted out this year, is it too far to say that six wins is actually just the ceiling for this team and that's it? And maybe just for this coaching staff? There's, it is, is there a way to get above that? The answer, hopefully, is no. That there's a way to break through that CIM, but it almost felt like the fan base is starting to shift towards that and with some degree of truth. Well, but at, at the same time, and sorry, Andy, um, no, no, when, when you look at that midfield or that mid, yeah, the midfield stretch, the midfield, the, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the midseason stretch. Sorry, I got World Cup qualifiers <laughs> on the brain. Um, mm-hmm. yep, we'll get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, yeah, we will. <laughs> um, especially when it pertains to Syracuse, because it really does at this point. Um, yep. the, that, that midseason stretch where they lost to Florida State, Wake, and Clemson by a combined nine points, <laughs> one of which in overtime. Like, three I of the it. top names, if not teams, in the conference last year, and you lost to them by a combined nine points in the middle stretch of the season. It just it boggles my mind that somehow none of those broke through and then, you know, you see the lack of depth and the injuries start to mount up in those last three games. And it, it really, 
I mean, when the team had its full strength squad, whether whether I liked what it looked like with Schrader at the helm or not, they were, especially when teams didn't have tape on him, they looked decent and could hang with anyone. Wheels fell off at the end, but... Yeah. Because and, I, was, and also because teams had tape on Schrader. Right. When they, when they yeah. knew there wasn't a threat of him passing, which, knock on wood, next year, if what we saw in the spring practice pre, pre-spring game was any indication... Uh, his arm definitely looks like it's not the same arm. So the, if that can translate. <laughs> the the BC game, it just sits in my head where they literally just rushed three, had two linebackers spy him, and then just dared him to throw. And that first half where just nothing happened, uh, that game just really felt like the tipping point of, oh, we are not winning it. Like, if we win this game, great. We're not winning another game this year because the, the book is out on this guy. Yeah, think about the for sixty-five yards that game. Yeah, think oh. about the think about the touchdowns that was scored in that game. It was two long plays. It, it was a it was a long rush from Tucker. Was it also a long rush from Schrader? I don't remember. Yep. It was a long yep. rush from Schrader, and then it was the punt return from Courtney Jackson. Those were the touchdowns scored, fifty-yard plus plays. And Sean Tucker yep. decided to run for two hundred yards, which helps. That's a that's a that's a small factor. Only yep. only a small one. Yeah, 200, 207 net yards. I think that was okay. Was he pleased with his performance, though? I believe so. I believe I believe that one. He was pleased. That is um, also that is that is a rose for this year as well. Sean Tucker's quarterback <laughs> is a gift among all society that should oh, be yeah. worshipped and put into Hall of Fames and the National Library of Congress and all of that stuff. Should be an example for what the best of Twitter can be. <laughs> yes, yeah, he averaged um, eight, eight yards a rush that game. Jeez, I forgot. Like, and this is the thing that Sean Tucker was legitimately one of the three best running backs in college football last year, uh, which is insane to continue to think about. But it's true, and he was really good. But this is where I think we can start bleeding into the the critiques about Syracuse football is that I feel like we're in a time loop where I feel like we are having the same conversation now that we were having about the the team. Uh, last year at this time, where when they're healthy, things are coming together. We really like some of the pieces that they have. However, this schedule really doesn't leave a whole lot of room for error. And Steve, you mentioned it with that three-game stretch. You're going to have a lot of games not necessarily break your way, and you can't bank on that. But imagine if Syracuse didn't play the Rutgers game and they played another soft opponent, um, and all of a sudden, you had one more win those those losses don't look as bad this year's schedule it's not gonna be friendly and i wonder what the margin of error for a healthy version of this team really is because they're gonna beat their fcs opponent who i already forgot who it is um wagner wagner uh they're probably going to beat uconn but uconn is going to be a better team uh they're coached by jim mora and it'll probably be a weird stupid game because it's up in connecticut and up at pause arf outside of those two games there's really not a single game where i think you can definitively say syracuse has more than a 52 percent chance of winning um i think that the snp is not kind to syracuse even though their returning production is great I don't think that you're going to see Vegas treat Syracuse too great when it comes to over-unders, like, as we get closer to the season. We're, we're just at a point where 
Sean Tucker is going to need to have the season of his life in order to drag this Syracuse team to, to five or six wins. And I don't know if Dino Babers can survive that. Like, say Sean Tucker has a, a Maxwell caliber season where he's one of the top three players in college football and Syracuse only wins four games. Like, that is going to be really hard to square, and I don't know how many people are going to be nuanced enough to say that this schedule was just never built in their favor. Um, and so, Krishna, it goes back to your point. I think I do think the ceiling for this program right now is six wins because they scheduled themselves into a six-win ceiling at this point in time. Now, that's definitely part of the problem, and I think all of us here, especially at this site, because we worship the Church of Casillo, are advocates of that one of being the biggest problems of Syracuse is that the scheduling just never works out in Syracuse's favor to put themselves in a position to succeed. And so because of that, it makes looking at wins above six very, very difficult and just in a general sensitive view. The other part about it is, well, it kind of goes back to something that we kind of all identified at the beginning, like as the season was going on. And it's a big reason also why Syracuse in general just has that mid-season lull and that end-of-season collapse. And it's not just because of the scheduling, but it's also because we've kind of realized that the Syracuse coaching staff doesn't adjust very well. Whether it's in-game or just throughout the season, they don't adjust like their opponents adjust. The opponents are very for some reason, are very good at adjusting to Syracuse's style of play in the middle of a game and countering it as they get to the second and to the second half. And the same goes in general for the season. Opponents are very good at once they get Syracuse on tape, they know what's coming and they know how to stop it once they see Syracuse on tape. Right. And the Syracuse coaching staff just hasn't been able to adjust whether it's in game or throughout the season. There is a big caveat on that for the upcoming season and this campaign that you're talking mm-hmm. about, though, Andy, because Tony White has shown the ability to adapt. And literally every game, the first drive that the opponent has is probably going to go for something. And then he sees what he sees and adjusts. Well, that's why people like Tony White. Right. <laughs> and, but that's also exactly what you're saying is the one of the biggest problems among a multitude that I had with Sterling Gilbert and the fact that he is no longer there. And Robert and and Jason Beck are the new offensive juggernaut of uh, what we're supposed to be doing with the football. Um, I think may at least change some of that adaptability and change some of that stylistic um, malleability that we're looking for. Hopefully. If you have that, right? No. I have. Oh, you. Okay, I was going to ask if you were uh, if you could study uh, the Trick Plays playbook on Madden, just so that <laughs> you know we're all ready for this year. I think it's on. Yeah. Uh, I think it's on Xbox Game Pass, so I'll see what I can do. Okay, very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. I I think that that is the big wild card to the whole season is that the off Dino Babers went out and brought somebody outside of the family into the Syracuse family and. Beck and A are are two guys that if anybody can figure out what to do with this offense, uh, we I I think that I think they're the two that can do it. Um, 
we are about at halftime. So I'm going to take this moment to thank our wonderful friends at Home Field Apparel, who make all fine things vintage and comfy uh, for your body. They make sweaters, they make hoodies, they make t-shirts, they make joggers with tons of vintage collegiate apparel. They are in the middle of big new Saturday season four, which basically means that every Saturday a new school gets launched on their website and you can buy amazing t-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts of that school. Coming this Saturday is our good friends Clemson. So if there's any Clemson listeners here trying to uh, scout Syracuse early, know that home field is going to have you covered this Saturday. If you're a Syracuse fan, they've got an amazing Syracuse collection on there as well. Um, but for anybody who is interested in buying some of the wonderful, comfy home field apparel shirts, uh, use the promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, on your first order to get 10% off. Uh, again, the promo code is NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order at home field apparel. Uh, gentlemen, I think it is time for us to do the thing and talk about the elephant in the room uh specifically the 80 or the 78 79 year old elephant uh i actually do not know what what number number we're at these days uh i'll have to i'll have to double check that really quick uh syracuse basketball had a really bad year um i had i did not have expectations for this program this year part of that was just my own biases against the players that were returning on the roster um, the other part of that was that I have a really smart friend who builds his own college basketball predictive model, and he had Syracuse 50-50 at finishing above 500. So I was prepared that this was <laughs> that this was going to be right on the edge of the season. Um, but Christian, once it became apparent that Syracuse was not going to finish above 500, that this team was going to just be a mediocre program not an NCAA tournament contending program, but just a mediocre program. What, what was, what was that realization? When was that realization for you? And how did it impact your overall perspective of the, uh, of the Syracuse uh, season? That was, I think my realization was when I was actually in Hamilton, New York for Syracuse Colgate, because I was actually in Hamilton New York for the uh, Patriot League Volleyball Championships. And during the halftime of that game, uh, uh, we tuned in to watch the Syracuse Colgate game. And okay. we saw Colgate hitting a lot of threes. Uh, and then we yep, all started yep. to realize, wow, this Syracuse team can't defend. And the unfortunate thing about basketball, well, maybe the fortunate thing, who, whether you want to say it or not, is that in basketball, very, very clearly, defense wins championships, especially in the NCAA. So, and defense clearly wins games as well. That's why Syracuse probably had a bit more success than you would like to admit in the early ACC. Because the, and it's why Syracuse made a lot of deep runs. And then the surprise deep runs as a double digit, because the defense was good. However, as people have started to quickly realize Jim Beheim just hasn't recruited the athletes necessary to be a defensive team that he wants them to be. And right now, if you the some of the limitations of the zone can be mitigated with good athletes. And you saw that with 
the 2018 team. It wasn't the best team by any stretch of the imagination. But because Tyus Battle and Frank Howard were so damn lanky and long at the top of the zone, it caused a lot of problems for teams, especially late in the season. So if Jim Beheim can't recruit the athletes that he wants to play in the zone, it goes back to what we said in football. He's got to adjust. And the, the rumor is, is that Syracuse is going to incorporate man this year. But based on the personnel, he has to. Otherwise, it's, it's probably going to be another under 500 year. Just based on the personnel that Jim Beheim has, he needs to adjust. There, there could be, he can go back to full-time zone in the future if he has the athletes to do it. But as of recent times, he does not have the athletes to play full 2-3 zone. Yeah, I think that that, that makes sense and is uh, one of the big reasons why this team, I think, was so hard to watch was that it was just shoving square pegs into round holes or, more eloquently, shoving short pegs into really long holes and saying, ah, this will do for now. And it never really did work. Uh, Steve, you, you mentioned that basketball was one of your two thorns for the season. Again, you mentioned it earlier. You are a father. You are somebody who has seen more basketball seasons than Christian and I have as a fan. This on paper is the worst Jim Beheim season that he's ever had. Was this the worst Jim Beheim season that you've ever seen? Is it fair to compare Jim Beheim teams across eras? I think that that is one of the more holistic questions that we never really got to answer because the book on this team was always they were mediocre and that realization set in so early that nobody ever really did the whole where does this where does this team rank in the pantheon of Jim Beheim uh, a Jim Beheim led squads now you're just getting into offseason content somebody's going to have to write that article now um, <laughs> Hi, James. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. But um, I don't know. I, you're right. I've seen a lot of Syracuse basketball. I've seen a lot of Jim Beheim teams. I am the old uh, the old man of the podcast. Uh, I have to say yes, that this was the most disappointing game that I've or team that I've seen, the most disappointing season I've seen. I don't know whether that's the right answer or whether that's an accurate answer, but that is the answer I have to go with just off of personal, like, just from literally what I saw on the court and my desire to continue to watch the games, I have never had that waiver. And there were points where I was fed up to the point where I just wanted to turn it off. Um, that has never happened before. And that is not, that's not a knock on the players. That's not a, I, I don't know, I don't know who it's a knock on. It was just a systemic, something wasn't right. And something felt very different this year than it has in the past. And I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if that's different for you guys, but that's, from a personal standpoint, that's how it felt. Yeah, I think it, I think it definitely felt that way. And I don't want to say that this you know i think everybody thought this was going to be jim Beheim's last year it very clearly was not jim Beheim's last year 
it seems like he has all intents of of writing this ship and not leaving until things are righted. So that's going to make life interesting. But in general, I don't necessarily think that this season is a write-off. But I do think that there was a lot happening this season, specifically with the coaching staff's uh, ability and, and lack thereof to utilize the transfer portal effectively. And they're still feeling out recruiting roles on this staff and how to recruit in the era of NIL as Syracuse. I I think that there's a lot happening behind the scenes that have not allowed them to get the bodies that they want. And this year's team specifically, even though there's still a giant question mark at backup center, uh, it seems like this year's team is more aligned with what Jim Beheim wants to have on a roster as opposed to this past year. And hopefully that means a better on the court success. But if it doesn't, then I think we are in some serious conversations about it's time for a change for the good of the program. And, and that's actually, that leads nicely into my point is that yes, I agree with you there. Jim Beheim probably likes the personnel that he has. The question now becomes, is it the right personnel? And is it the right people? Should Syracuse have been looking more aggressively for starters in the portal instead of backups in general? Because I feel like that in general is an area where Syracuse has lacked in the most. It's finding starters in the transfer portal. And it failed again this year. It's... It's something that they, right now, it seems like they treat the transfer portal as a second chance at players that they were recruiting uh, the first time around and then Mm -hmm. missed out on. And that's not the way that others are using the transfer portal, but we'll we'll see where where it gets the program. Um, I do want to kind of take some time here and and give us an opportunity to kind of talk about some of the other things that happened this year. We haven't done a full lacrosse recap of this year because I feel like the lacrosse recap is simply boiled down to injuries. They suck. Um, is Christian, is that way too simplistic? But it does seem like for the women, their championship season was kneecapped by literal kneecaps. And the men's program, even though they underachieved uh, with some talent, there was a lot of talent on the sidelines injured that prevented them from potentially reaching a certain level of cohesion um it basically it actually can be boiled down into that phrase but for both but one for each program syracuse lacrosse syracuse women's lacrosse injuries syracuse men's lacrosse it's more on the we suck side because an owen hilt's injury can't be the reason why the offense falls apart and loses cohesion at the at the end at the towards the end of the year Yes, were there other injuries that took place along the way? Yeah. But that also doesn't detract from the fact that the defense was still a hot, flaming pile of crap. And it doesn't detract from the fact that Syracuse had a revolving door at goalie and couldn't find a a solid goaltender just in general throughout the entire year. So for the men's lacrosse team, they've got to figure out the defensive issues quickly. And if they don't, it, it, they're in for another long year. Um, the the offensive additions they've made through the portal are good, and it should help re-energize the offensive additions that were lost and are coming back. 
and are joining. So the offense should look good. It's got to be a tall on the defense again for the men's lacrosse team. For the women's lacrosse team, a little bit of the same thing. The injuries sucked, and there were a lot of injuries. But there's a lot of talent that's graduating and leaving. So can the people who were injured step up and become the alphas of the team? The answer is probably yes. But can the supporting cast support them as well next year? Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting offseason for, I think, both programs. I think the women have a proof of concept under Kayla Trainer. I do not think that there's a ton of concern around what she can do as a coach, what she can do as a culture leader, which is fantastic. And I think that that's a huge win for this year for the women's lacrosse program. The men's side has a ton more questions, and we've talked about it in, in recent weeks over the show, but there are a lot of players coming in and a lot of players going out of the program uh, via the transfer portal. And it's going to look like a very different team next year, not just because of the transfer portal, but because of the recruiting class. And we'll talk about this again. It's another offseason piece. But it feels like this uh, this was a year zero for Gary Gate. Uh, we use that term in college football a lot. Year zero is the first year that a new coach comes in. It's not their roster. It's not their recruiting class. They're just kind of there to helm the ship for that first year and start instilling a new process. Year two is really the first year of that recruiting cycle of that offseason training plan where you see what the program is going to be like under the new voice. And I feel like for Gate, this upcoming year is far more important than this past year was because he still needs to show that he can be the culture leader and the head coach of the men's lacrosse program, especially when he's got this all-star talent coaching staff around him of guys that could just as easily be the head coach of Syracuse. Just that. He's now got one of the most exciting players in quite some time in general with the game of lacrosse that's coming to Syracuse. Yeah. And what I... he can do with him, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so outside of lacrosse, uh, I do think that we should talk about some other, just if there's some, any other sports, this is your time to talk about it, Steve. Uh, we'll start with you because we are going to talk about soccer. Uh, what is your one thing from the year outside of football, basketball, lacrosse that you wanted to just highlight? good, bad, interesting that, that took place around around Syracuse. And I'm teeing you up for something soccer-related because I'm assuming you have you have something. Well, the problem is shifting the gears back to a season that happened half a year ago. Um, I, it wasn't, again, it, much like the rest of the men's sports, it was not in any way, shape, or form the best year that the men's soccer team has had. Um they finished 500, eight, eight and two on the year. Um, good, not great. Uh, lost a lot of very close games, as seems to be the, um, the well, as every team seems to be want to do. Uh, lost a couple of games they probably shouldn't have. Won a couple of games they probably shouldn't have, including a two zero highlight against Clemson, um, who I think was. They were top 10 at the time, maybe like five or let's see, schedule time. They were six at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, they lost to number 16 Pittsburgh by a goal in overtime. 
They lost two other overtime games. They drew an overtime game. They literally played all these games extremely tightly and didn't get a whole hell of a lot from it. Lost to Georgetown 1-0 on the road. Georgetown was two at the time. So, uh, much, much, as always, this year, much like every other men's program, a down year that had a couple things that could have turned things a different way. In And this year was a down ACC, so it's not like most years where you could probably finish under 500 and still, you know, make the tourney. Um, they were on the cusp. They needed to win in the ACC championship, and they did not get it. So, uh Overall, a decent year for a fresh team that had a lot of young faces uh, and or a lot of new faces, but we'll see what Mac and, Mac and Co. can do for the, the rest of, um, you know, the, the move into 22. But yeah, I think that this is one of the one of the more interesting stories that's also happening around college sports is that there's a big debate about whether to make soccer a year-round sport rather than a single-season sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll keep our eyes on that. Because it seems like there could be a decision made this summer about that, which is fascinating. Um, it, it seems just, like the coaches and the players are behind it. Which okay, let's comp- not, let's move away from the Syracuse year and recap conversation and talk about soccer a little bit. This will be a great transition before we talk about the World Cup. Um, uh, uh, Christian, Soc- soccer Steve- listeners, beware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. This is this is the. Uh, this is the trigger warning. This is the spoiler warning for soccer talk. This is, we'll, this is we'll, re- we'll return to Syracuse in just a bit because I do want to say something really quick before we do get back to more World Cup talk. But um, yeah, let's let's talk soccer. Uh, the right now, soccer is a fall sport. During the pandemic, um, you both might have to correct me here because I was kind of following it. They split soccer into two seasons. There was a fall season and a spring season with the College Cup taking place after the spring season. And then this season, they reverted back to a single fall season. It seems like um, that year-round competition format was popular. It's the way that the rest of the world handles their soccer calendar. And it would make sense for the uh, NCAA uh, structure to kind of follow that model especially with the way that the student athletes are pretty much working out and doing stuff all year round anyways um uh steve from your perspective and just talking to some some of the coaches uh i don't know if you've talked to them specifically about this why is there support for this model as opposed to the single season model um there there's a reason that they're referring to it as the 21st century model because, oh. like, that's that's literally the name that it's done. 21st because... century, it's a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We've gone full circle. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, it, it's it's a much more modern, like, soccer is a year-round game. Every Literally everywhere else in the world, besides the States and a few other places, um, they have a soccer season that goes from the fall through the winter to the spring. Um, If and when any of these players move to the next level, they will be playing a year-long schedule. They will have to maintain fitness. Any place that these kids are coming from, they've been playing year-round soccer. Uh, 
so to go from that to an abbreviated tight tight scheduled window where you're playing two games a week uh in the fall instead of just stretching it out over fall and spring semesters uh where you could you know play a game a week much like every other level of soccer does um it seems seems like a no-brainer uh it will help player fitness it will help injuries it will help long-term um management of personnel uh if there's any changes to the roster mid-season you still have some time before the season starts again to um you know reincorporate new players there's a whole host of uh benefits to the the programs and the players specifically like it's it's a much more player friendly model than trying to shove as many and to be fair it's uh better for the athletic training staffs too than to try and shove all of everything into a you know 15 week schedule that they're trying to play you know 20 games in um, yeah just that just ask professionals like while they may love comp- cup competitions how much that three game day break sucks oh yeah yeah, I can't even like can't even think of you know that January the December January crunch in a lot of these professional. Oh leagues my god! Playing the, the Premier League December league schedule is bonkers. Yeah. It's like okay, you're playing Wednesday Saturday, Wednesday Saturday, Wednesday Saturday. Back. Some of them are playing back. Sunday Tuesday, and you're like, what the right. why? Yeah, so it, it's it, it it's a much preferred model, I think, from many standpoints. Um, uh, the other thing of note, I think, got officially... I know it was up. I think it got approved, was we will no longer see stupid overtime in college games. Oh, really? Oh, what? Oh. Yes. If it ends after 90 minutes in a draw, it's a draw. Thank wow. the good Lord. Wow. So, yeah. The, Could the you playing, imagine? Yeah. <laughs> the playing rules well, over what a, what a novel concept. Oh yeah, but also look at Syracuse last year. Like yeah. you end up uh one, two two games would have they would have had two less losses, so they would have been eight, six, and four. And oh. instead of a golden goal overtime against North Carolina, it would have been a traditional overtime. Oh, a full oh th- wait, so they're oh, getting so rid of postseason. golden goal period. So postseason is now so 30 the, minutes penalties? Uh, yeah, so for the regular season, overtime has been eliminated, meaning oh. if a game is tied after 90, it'll end in a draw. Previously, they had the stupid 10-minute overtime golden goal thing. Uh, in, in conference tournaments and NCAA postseason games, sudden victory component has been eliminated, and teams will play two 10-minute overtime periods instead, With the uh, also when a substitution is made by the winning team in the last five minutes of the second overtime, the clock will stop. So you can't milk the clock with it. Um, and that, so they're adopting, you know, standard, uh, overtime rules. <laughs> so two 10 minute periods and a shootout in cup 10 minutes. Yep. It's I, the 10 minutes isn't my favorite, but to be fair, it kind of is better than, um, you know, a 30 minute period where these kids are gassed. Uh, but in general, this is normal soccer. I like normal soccer uh, for a reason. I think everybody kind of likes soccer for for a lot of different reasons, and these these things and standardizing the rules makes a ton more sense. And yeah, it would have benefited Syracuse a lot more uh, this past year. So kind of kind of annoyed, but also I'm sure Mac is probably uh, 
silently fist pumping that the that things are starting to become a little bit more standardized <laughs> across across the board. Uh, other change noted: VAR uh, will be expanded Ooh. to include whether a foul occurred inside or outside the penalty area on games where it is eligible. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. I mean, for Syracuse games, they will most most likely will be eligible because most Syracuse games are full broadcasts. Yep. So some yeah, of them think, will be. I think ACC, some of them may. Some of them may be single cam, which would be uh, which they wouldn't be available for that. But uh, for full broadcasts, they'd be available. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, there there are some good changes. Uh, good changes coming for college soccer, and hopefully. Hopefully we'll see it moving forward. I may maybe maybe that's an article I'll uh, I'll try and work on poke uh, poke Mac and a couple of the other assistants and see what their thoughts on the proposed changes are. Listen, I think that there are plenty of people who watch college soccer and then uh, or watch uh, professional soccer and then try to watch Syracuse soccer and are very confused by what the hell's happening. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> One uh, of which I'm apparently s- is on the podcast. I was going to say, mean, speaking I from mean, experience, it, it, it took a bit. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. 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 A quote actually from Jay Vitovich. Uh, there are academy players playing year round, but with college players, it's a three month season. Then they have to play in PDL or somewhere over the summer for competitive matches. Uh, we had a quote unquote former pit or, you know, parenthetical, former pit star forward train with us so he could stay sharp during the offseason after he was graduated from pit. And, you know, I, I remember back in the day seeing, like, after Ben Polk and them, uh, that like, that crew had graduated, they would be coming back in the summer to play or coming back in the offseason to play to um, when they weren't with their club teams to stay up because there's just a lot, uh, a lot of downtime in the college game. So, yeah. Yeah. This, this all seems positive. Uh, before we talk about the World Cup, Christian, what was it about spring sports that you wanted to bring up in our final bit of the Syracuse year in review? I think uh, it's more of a winter sports thing, but I think it's an important thing to bring up. And it's the culture shift now that hopefully will take place in women's basketball when you have Felicia mm-hmm. get Jack now leading that program yep. after all the big things that happened in terms of the offseason last year that came out about the program about Coach Q's staff, and uh, not his staff, I should say, but how Coach Q ran the program, um, and just the overall good feeling that I feel like most people who are closely surrounded the program got when Felicia Legatjak was named the head coach of the program could only mean good things for Syracuse women's basketball, and I think that's a program that, again, this will probably be a year zero for Felicia Legatjak also, yeah. even though she has a couple of Buffalo players with her. This could be a very, very interesting program in a couple of years. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point. Um, the year zero thing is very real, considering how many players were leaving the program, uh, how many players have opted to go and pursue careers somewhere else. It's It feels like she's got like a true rebuilding effort where the house is kind of raised and she's got to literally rebuild the house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, like so we're ex- back to laying the foundations in that program. So yes, it is a it is a complete clean slate for her. With yeah, limited expectations, which is probably a good spot to be in. Uh, I think that that's I think that that's actually really accurate. I do not think that there's going to be a lot of people holding her foot to the fire. I do think that uh, 
there's going to be a lot of people just kind of looking for her to stay and do the right things, which for all what we've seen in the limited period of time, she seems to be a pro at, at a lot of this. And she seems genuinely excited to be back in Syracuse, um, which again, for those that might not know, she is originally from Syracuse, uh, has touted this as a big homecoming. So this is, this is, I think that there's really, there's a lot of potential here. Uh, it's just going to take a bit to, to fully reach that potential. Um, in the last five minutes of the show, uh, wanted to very briefly talk about the World Cup uh, that will involve a lot of Syracuse sides, although there have been some developments um, on the U.S. side when it comes to Syracuse uh, Syracuse names. But today, or no, was it yesterday? Yesterday, no, today was the play-in, right? Or am I getting my for Wales confused? For Wales-Ukraine, yes, yeah. today. Yes. So today, the U.S. and Canada's group, or the U.S.'s group was finalized. Uh, Wales defeated the Ukraine, or Wales defeated Ukraine, uh, knocking out Ukraine and putting Wales in Group B with the United States, England, and who am I forgetting? Iran. Iran. So there we go. Uh, the U.S. will be without Miles Robinson. He successfully had his uh, surgery and his recovery time will probably put him out of the World Cup. I don't want to say definitively because there hasn't been an announced timetable. However, it's an Achilles injury. Achilles do not heal very fast unless you're a mutant. So unless Miles Robinson is secretly an X-Man, uh, I think he's going to be out of the World Cup. And you never know. <laughs> it's Maybe true. he's Wolverine. <laughs> Logan Robinson. All right. We're on to something here. Um, speaking of uh, things from Canada... The 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 uh, dare I say the bigger news that would affect um, our former Syracuse athletes would be that the Canada men's national team is currently on strike. Uh, what over a contract dispute! The game against Panama today did not happen. Um, and I get a wolf. Yeah, uh, they've refused to play a scheduled World Cup warm up match against Panama amid a contract dispute between the players and the sports national governing body. Um, there's a lot more history than we can go into on this, but, uh, the quote was quote from the players was it's time we take a stand for the future of soccer in Canada. Um, they want more transparency. They want equitable compensation structure for men and women. Um, I think a a lot of, uh, a lot of similar to the U S side, there was a lot of issues in the equitability of men's and women's teams being paid, um, World Cup compensation that includes 40% of prize money and comprehensive friends and family package for the World Cup in Qatar, uh, apparently, are things that they're asking for. Um, but, yeah, they you know, they basically said, we want to apologize to our fans, but we're sticking to our guns on this because it's wrong. And so that would include uh, former Syracuse stars Tejon Buchanan and Kamal Miller. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, some some big news for Canada and kind of sucks for them to not get another warm up game in, but seems to be for good reason. Yeah, um, that's kind of wild. Uh, not gonna lie, the the whole thing does kind of track though because we saw for those that did not know, um, the men's and women's programs in the U.S. did reach a historic collective bargaining agreement where I believe the pay is going to be equitable across the board for both men and women, regardless of competition type. Um, and it is is being hailed and touted as a landmark agreement. 
and it seems like it might be the precedent center for other federations looking to do uh, similar similar things. Um, Canada is having the year of its in federation. I think this is the the highest sustained success that they've either had. And yeah, it's uh, Tejan and Kamal Miller are part of that Canada regularly starting eleven. And I feel like there's a third name that I'm forgetting who did get some Canada reps on the men's team, at, but is not a regular uh, for for them. And who am I who am I blanking on? Or am I did I make that up out of my out of my head? No, you I might just be thinking we've been talking about Raposo quite a bit, and he is also Canadian, but yes, he is, yes. he's he's fringe at best on that. Yes, that's what that's what I was thinking of. Because um, I was like, it's definitely not Mo Adams. <laughs> no. The last not, time I heard, and he's not making the England squad either. So, not a knock on Mo. Just... It's just really deep. So that's, that, there are a lot of midfielders who would like a spot at that bit on that uh, England squad <laughs> yes. who are not going to get it because. Yep. Yeah. Good luck breaking into that England midfield. If you're if oh. you are England if you are England midfielder or wing back. You are not enjoying your time right now because you were most likely not seeing a cap ever. No, uh, that England team is going to be so dirty. But we have all summer to talk about it because there's not a World Cup this summer. Oh, where are we? They only have to face Harry Maguire. Who, for some reason, well, he looks horrible in a red I know, shirt. I know, I know. Looks great in a white <laughs> shirt with three lions on it. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's the frustrating part. Yeah. We can all, we can all get really mad when Christian Pulisic joins Liverpool this this summer. Oh, if that happens, I'm good. When Reese James is not starting, you know they're deep at wing back. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have Trent Alexander Arnold, Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier. <laughs> Was Walker still injured? So he might he might start. Uh, Walker hey, and Walker and Trippier are still injured, I believe. Uh. So. So but yeah, James could actually probably James could probably actually start at center back, honestly. The yeah, the what do you got? Uh their defense. Walker, uh for the la- last call ups. James Justin from Leicester, Connor Cody, Maguire, Alexander Arnold, Trippier, uh Stones, Reese James, uh Tamori and Gagey. So yeah. They're yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. I can't wait till our World Cup preview show in the middle of college football season. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's gonna that's gonna feel awesome and I, weird, but awesome. I'm sure that'll go over well with the fan base. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I hate. I just hate the Winter World Cup so much. <laughs> I hate it so much. Yeah. Oh, uh, also, also wingbacks that didn't get called up or that weren't on that list: Luke Shaw and Ben Chilwell. Sean <laughs> and Chilwell are not on this team. That's incredible. Well, no, they they weren't uh, called up with the last round. Exactly, so they but might still, have been hurt or whatever. Like, yeah, but that's but yeah. incredible. Yeah, they're, they're, it's it's going to be fun. <laughs> but uh, the nice thing is, Pulisic has a lot of experience running at all of those people. Yeah, it does. Yes, he does. Well, not uh, well, not if he's playing against Reese James. True. At least not well, in the game. Practice, you know. And yeah, but see, we talking about practice, not in the game. <laughs> <laughs> That uh, is where we end the show. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Troy Dudes is an Absolute Podcast. Like and subscribe on whatever your podcast platform is, uh, so that way we can trick the Ottoman Empire into expanding even further. Uh, if you're re- watching this on newsmagician.com, thank you for visiting the site. If you're watching this on Twitch, thank you for tuning in with us every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. 
make sure that uh, you stay with us all off season as we talk about we don't really know what, but we're going to have a good time with it whenever we do these episodes. And as always, uh, thank you for supporting us throughout this entire season that was very up and down, but mostly down, as you can tell by the show. Uh, we look forward to doing it all again next year, uh, again, with a World Cup jammed in the middle of it. Uh, go Orange, go, go USA. <laughs> <laughs> go Orange. <laughs>